Our mission at Cross Point Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We're going to continue in our series through the Ten Commandments. We've been calling this Thou Shalt, the Ten Commandments. And so if you have a Bible, if you brought it with you, open to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at verse 16 this morning. A sermon I'm calling, Be Honest. So probably most of you, as you came here this morning, you kind of knew where we were going to be at this morning, that we were going to be in the Ninth Commandment. And I think this message for most of us, is going to be kind of a difficult one to listen to. And that is unless you have a seared conscience from repeated lying, because the truth is this message should make most of us very uncomfortable because the truth is a lot of us, we lie all the time. With that, let's read what God said about this behavior. Exodus 20, verse 16. God says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So I've been preaching for now nine weeks on these Ten Commandments, and often we think of these Ten Commandments in the negative. How we usually think of the Ten Commandments, how we think of the Ninth Commandment specifically, we think it said, God said, do not lie. Now that's not a terrible way to remember this verse, because you know, it gets the general idea of what God is trying to say, but the difficulty in this, this verse comes with the follow-through, Okay? You know, when someone stands in a court of law, they are asked to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, and there's this little tagline that's added on. This little tagline that goes like this, says, so help me, God. You know, but there are some that, that take that last little part off of that statement, and they because the reason why, because they believe that there is no God, and to them, that they have become a God unto themselves, and so there's per- certain courtrooms in our country where the tagline goes, so help me, me. People said that. I know, I wish I was making that up, but that has happened. But, but here's the big idea that the, the, the Ninth Commandment's trying to get across, that is to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because that is what God demands. That is what God demands, and that is what God commands, because that is exactly what God demonstrates. Did you know that God hates lying? There's some that want to try, try to paint God as some kind of cosmic hippie that just never hates. But they say, well, God can't hate because God is love. Well, God is love. And he's a loving God that hates lying. Read Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. The word of God says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates lying so much that it makes it two two times in the list of seven things that he hates. He hates a lying tongue and a false witness who breathes out lies. Here's why God hates lying so much. Lying is not just an offense to the person being lied to. Lying is an offense to the God that made that person that you're lying to. You see, God is not like us because God never lies. That's exactly what Titus chapter 1 tells us. That God is only truthful. That God is always truthful. That God is altogether truthful. That there's nothing in God's character that is untrustworthy or unreliable. That there's no deception in Him. That there is no dishonesty in God whatsoever. Contrast that truth by by this truth. 
that, that, that the, the character of Satan. Jesus says regarding of Satan, says in John chapter 8, that Satan is the, the father of lies, and he lies all the time. And so think about this. When we lie, we're acting like Satan and nothing like God. Anybody in here bilingual, speak multiple languages? Anybody? Nobody? Not one person? Nobody. Wow, okay. Well, anyways, if you were bilingual, man, that illustration fell flat, didn't it? But <laughs> they can speak multiple languages. Well, in that circumstance, your primary language, your native language is your strongest language. Well, Jesus says about Satan that his native language is lying. That he speaks lies to the whole world. That's his first language. That's at least what Jesus said about him. But our culture today, they reject that. The, our culture thinks something completely different than that. They believe something altogether different than that. Because our society has moved from being a God-centered society to being a me-centered society. So many in our culture, they think that they are the center of the universe. They believe that the entire universe revolves around them. That they're actually the center and then the sun and earth and moon and stars and it revolves around them. When someone believes like that, that they reject God, the very next thing to go is to love thy neighbor. That's what gets rejected. And so what happens is you begin to use people because you don't love people. And when we lie, what we're saying is, you know what? Uh, 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 what, what happens to you doesn't really matter because I am the most important person. And if something bad happens to you, doesn't really matter because what's important to me is important to me. And if it goes bad for you, well, then that's just too bad. That's what we're saying when we lie. Earlier, we spoke about, uh, in, these, in this series, we talked about the, the, the Ten Commandments. And I said this before, but I'm going to say it again. But I want you to think of the first four commandments, commandments one, two, three, and 4, as God commandments, as vert, uh, vertical commandments. Because they have to do with our relationship with God. But then commandments 5 through 10, they have to do with our relationship with people. So think of them as horizontal relationships. Do you remember what Jesus said when Jesus was asked what is the greatest of the commandments? It's like 1 through 10, that's too much for us. You've got to boil it down. We're not smart enough to handle that, Jesus. So Jesus gave us two. Kind of a practical living for dummies, if you will. A cliff note version of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus said, number one is love God. And number two is to love your neighbor. That's what we're talking about here. How did God say it in, in context of Exodus 20, verse 16? Read it again. He said, you shall not bear false witness against who? Your neighbor. That's what we're talking about here. Here's what I want you to know. God loves you and God loves your neighbor. And God doesn't want you to lie and hurt your neighbor. Because here's another big idea I want you to know. When you lie, you hurt somebody. You're hurting your neighbor when you lie. Read in Proverbs 25, verse 18. It says, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. There it is, Exodus 20, 16. You kind of see that parallel in Proverbs 25. What does it say about somebody who lies to their neighbor? It's like a war club or a sword, a sharp arrow. How is it that if you're lying to somebody, you're like these weapons? Because you're hurting the person you lie to. And I think it needs to be said that um, your closeness to that person, emotionally speaking, largely dictates the damage that's done. For example, if you're lied to by a stranger, it kind of hurts, right? But big deal, you move on with your day. 
uh, and, and, and he's not going to ruin your life. But if you're lied to by a close friend, that kind of stings. If your children lie to you, that hurts bad. If it's your spouse that lies to you, that's going to leave a mark that lasts a long time. You see, your proximity to the individual, emotionally speaking, really determines how much damage is done. Because I am very much emotionally invested to my wife, and she was ever to lie to me, that would hurt bad. But I want us to consider this this morning. How important is motive when it comes to this thing about lying? If we're going to talk about lying, how important is motive? And I think most of us would clearly say, well, motive is very important. But there's some that would say, well, you know what? We should never, ever, never, ever, never lie, ever. Only the truth, all the time. And I would agree with that statement the vast majority of the time. But I want you to consider this issue of motive. The question I want you to consider is, who is going to benefit from a lie? For example, if you have the opportunity to lie on your taxes, who benefits from that? Is that justifiable? Well, I think the answer is clearly no, because that's all about you and has nothing to do with your neighbor. But some of, is there such a thing as a good lie? I know I'm kind of dancing on thin ice here, but stick with me. Because there's harmful lies and there are helpful lies. And we have a lot of examples in our Bible about harmful lies. Too many to list, but let me just give you one. In the book of Genesis, there's this guy named Joseph, and he gets a job with a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's one of the most powerful men in the, in the world at that time, and, and Potiphar's wife kind of takes a liking to Joseph, and she tries to seduce him, and he refuses. So what she does is she lies. She falsely accuses him of rape, and he gets locked up in jail for a, for a, a crime he didn't commit. Now, that was a harmful lie, right? But is there such a thing as a helpful lie? How about this one? We're in Exodus chapter 20, but if we were to back up and go earlier to Exodus chapter 1, we'd read about this crazy king, and he, he passes this edict that, that all the male babies have to be thrown in the river Nile so that they get eaten by crocodiles, but little side note, that's a reoccurring theme in the Bible where there's a crazy man that wants to murder babies. It's satanic. But anyways, he wants all the male babies to die. So there's this mom that she kind of did it, but then she kind of didn't. She made this little boat and she puts her baby boy in the boat and she sets it adrift. Well, that little baby boy turns out to be Moses, the writer of the book that we're reading here. And she did this to save a life. And then she goes on to, to trick the daughter of Pharaoh to raise that baby of her, of, as her own. So this is an example, I believe, is a helpful lie. So I don't think that we can put that lie on the same par as what Potiphar's wife did. And I think it's okay to think like this because the same Bible that says do not murder is the same Bible that says do not lie. And so if we have to lie to save the life of an innocent person, being very specific there... I think it's, it's, it's not on the same par. Let me give you another example. There was a day when there was these uh, Israeli spies, Israel spies, they go into the land, they're, ca- they're scouting out the land, and they get discovered. And they're going to get murdered. And there's this gal named Rahab. She lied to save their life, right? Well, then if we turn into our New Testament, she goes on to be listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 as a woman of great faith. Why? The reason is because she did the right thing. Let's say we go back in time and you live in Germany around 1940s. 
and the Nazis come and they knock on your door and they ask you, hey, do you have any Jews that you're hiding in your house? And you say no, even though they're, they're down in your basement. Who's going to benefit from that? Well, it's clearly not you because that lie can cost you your life. You see, when there's malice, it's all about intent for your own personal gain. When you're deceiving for, so that you gain and someone else gets hurt, that's what lying is. And so there's good lies, and good lies are good lies when they, only when they can save someone's life. Let me give you one last one. Husbands, let's say your wife comes to you and says, hey, does this, do I look fat in this outfit? Don't answer that. The life you save might be your own, right? Amen. Thank you. Let me take this a different route. How about this one? I think we need to leave room for grace. Because I don't think every lie is an intentional lie. For example, let's say that I promised you, hey, I'll meet you at the church at 5 p.m. on Tuesday. And what if 5 p.m. on Tuesday comes and goes and I'm not here? Did I lie to you? What if I got bonked over the head on my way? What if my car broke down? What if I just simply forgot? You see, I think we need to try to give grace where grace is needed because not every offense is an intentional offense. And sometimes people make mistakes. And I say that because it has everything to do with motive. But let's talk about this. I think we need to, to watch because lying has a way of just creeping into our lives. Did you know that sin is a lot like water? Water follows the path of least resistance. Water always flows downhill. Well, so does sin. Okay? Sin is a lot like water. And, and since moving to Wyoming, I've learned just how destructive water can be. And it has to do with this, this uh, phenomenon of freezing and thawing. Because if you have a small crack in your driveway, well, you're about to have a big crack in your driveway. And it has everything to do with a characteristic that's unique to water. Water is one of the very few molecules that expands the colder it gets. The most dense water is at 4 degrees Celsius, but as it, as it uh, comes closer to zero, it expands. See, every other molecule, almost every other molecule, it condenses the colder it gets, but not water. And it has to do with, a, uh, with a pro, uh, a, an aspect called hydrogen bonding. Now, I don't want to bore you to tears. Why? Because I'm sure there's someone's about to scream out, nerd. But I think it's fascinating. But anyways, what happens is you have a crack in your concrete. And then water comes and gets in there, and then the, it just sits there, and the cold weather comes, and that little bit of water becomes a lot of water, and your small crack becomes a big crack. And then the next year comes, and more water gets in your big crack, and then that kind of a lot of water now becomes a whole heck of a lot of ice, and now that big crack becomes a, a giant crack. My point is, that's how sin is in our life. Okay? It starts out small, but then it kind of grows and, and, and expands over time. And pretty soon, you have a major problem on your hands that's going to take a lot of work to fix. Lying is sin. So I think we need to jump on this before we have to get the professionals involved. Let's talk about some ways. I want to, excuse me, some reasons. Here are a, a couple of reasons why we lie. Reason number one... <clears throat> We lie to create or protect an illusion of ourselves. We think, we know what, if they know the truth about me, well, then they're going to think less about me. Really, that's the basis for all of social media. It, it, social media is only showing you the good stuff, and then we take the good stuff and, and we make it look even better, often called a filter. But all of social media is a filter. It's only a highlight reel of your life, and a lot of the time, it's all lies. 
The second reason we lie, we lie to get what we want. We think, you know what, I want it. And I'm going to get it. And if I have to lie to get it, well, that's what I'm going to do, even though I'm not supposed to have it. We want it, and so we lie to get it. And that's exactly what we do, because after all, that's what we want. And the third reason we lie, we lie to avoid negative consequences for ourselves. We think, man, if the truth comes out, boy, that's just going to be not good for me, so I have to change the outcome. That's all an attempt to be God. Because we know that God is sovereign, but yet we want to be sovereign. So we're like, you know what, I'm going to change the information so that the outcome goes differently. So we, we lie so that we can be God. But let's talk about some ways that we lie. This is an exhaustive list, but here are four ways that we lie. First way, deception. Read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. John says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In the context of what the Apostle John is talking about, he's talking about believers that are living, living just eyeball deep in sin, and yet they, they try to pretend like nothing's going on. We need to come clean. We, we need to admit it. We need to say what we're doing is wrong. I'll say it like this. We need to repent. Repentance is not feeling sorry that you got caught. Repentance is being sorry that you have offended a holy God. But often that's not what we do. Often we just try to play it off like it's no big deal. Like, oops, I messed up. I'll do better next time. Maybe. That's what we think. Uh, what happens when we continue to do this, we sear our conscience. You know, when you take a good steak, you need to sear the outside to keep all that good stuff in on a good steak. But really, this is where this illustration falls flat when it comes to human beings, because there is nothing good in us. That's what the Bible teaches, that we are just messed up from the floor up. But what happens when we repeatedly lie, we sear our conscience, and then none of the filth can get out. It's all trapped on the inside, but also none of the good stuff can get in, okay? When we lie, what happens is we even really even notice we're lying because we do it all the time. I remember back many years ago, I had a, a very close friend of mine. He would lie for the most random things ever, like silly stuff. I, hey, what'd you have for lunch? Oh, I had a sandwich, and it turns out he had spaghetti. Like, why would you lie about that? Because he's a liar. Some people lie so often, they just have to lie to feel normal. It sounds exhausting to me, but that's just how some people choose to live their life. People like that are only really only fit for politics, right? Every four years, the commercials start playing on the TV. It's all lies. You know, there's the old saying, how do you know when a politician's lying? The lips are moving. You're right. You've heard that one, right? Why do we say that? Because it's true. So many politicians say whatever they think they need to say for their voter block to vote for them, only to come down with a severe case of amnesia as soon as the election's over. But this happens for certain um, industries where they... In this embezzlement where they're falsifying reports to make themselves look better. And people do stuff like that all the time. And there are certain industries that they bill two clients for the same hour of work. It's all deception. It's all being dishonest. And there's lots of ways that we practice deception. And again, it's all demonic. It all goes back to Genesis chapter 3 when Satan comes in the garden. And he lies to Eve. He's deceiving her. He says, did God really say don't eat the fruit? 
Satan knew what God said. He wanted to deceive Eve. And I want to remind you, deception is demonic. Deception is where you're trying to pretend like you're telling the truth, but the truth is you're not telling the truth and you know it. It's a lie. Here's another way that we lie. Gossip. Read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. The Word of God says, Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Paul is letting a young pastor by the name of Timothy, and by extension, he's letting us know that being idle and a gossiper, they really go hand in hand, right? Because if you're a busy person, you don't have time to gossip. But if you keep yourself, if you don't keep yourself busy, then you become a busy body, and then you become, you are the first person to gossip. When I was a little kid, I would rush, get off the bus, rush home for school, and turn on the TV. This is back when there was only three channels to choose from. And often there was this show that I, I enjoyed watching. It was called Bewitched. Yeah, you remember the show? It was, it was fun. I didn't know about the witchcraft thing. I was as lost as a ball in high weeds. But anyways, it was a funny show because the husband is a mortal man and the, the wife is a witch and all the zany things that are going on because of her family usually. But they had a, they had a neighbor. If you remember the neighbor, her name was Gladys Kravitz. She would come and stand in their flower bed peering through the window. Even as a kid, I'm like, that's weird. That's weird. Don't do that. But anyway, she was trying to get some juicy bit of information that she was going to take and spread it to the whole neighborhood to try to wreck someone's life. That's a gossip. And to that I say, get a life. Really? Don't you have anything better to do than try to wreck someone else's life? When people do that, you know why they do that? Because they're insanely and unhappy with their life. And rather than improve their life, what well, they say, you know, I'm going to tear you down to my level so we'll all be miserable together. And again, I, to that I said, get a life. I want to bring that one back to the church, though. Because gossip is a major problem in the church. Very often, the prayer request becomes the vehicle to spread gossip in the church. It shouldn't be that way. You hear a prayer like this, like, oh, please pray for Bob and Jane. I picked Bob and Jane because I'm pretty sure we we're going to have a Bob and Jane. If we do, I apologize. That's just totally random. Oh, pray for them because they're having marital issues. Don't do that. Don't, don't ever do that. Most of the time, gossip is done one at the time. Most of the time, it's not broadcasted through the prayer request. But if someone comes to you with a juicy bit of trash, you know what they're saying? They're like, hey, your ears look like a dumpster. I want to put some trash in your ears. Here's what you do. Don't let them. Just refuse to listen. Because if you refuse to listen, then the gossip dies. So I want you to consider some things before you say anything to anyone. Here's something we need to think of. Does this exact information need to be communicated? Okay. Does anyone need to say this at all? Or do, do I need to say anything and or hear this, this piece of information? If the answer is yes, am I the person who's supposed to say it? Am I supposed to want to speak up? And here's the last question. Does the person I'm thinking saying this to need to hear this information? Because, you know, I said gossip's a problem in the church, but here's what's crazy. A lot of the time in the church, nobody says anything because, oh, that might be considered gossip, and I don't want to be a gossiper. What is information that should be communicated? So think about this. One, does it need to be said? Two, am I the person who's supposed to say it? And three, is the person I'm saying this to the person who's supposed to hear this? If the answer is yes, 
then you need to say something. And it's not gossip. Here's the third way we lie. Slander. Third way is to slander. Read Leviticus 19, verse 16. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Gossip and slander are different mainly through intent. Slander is malicious and usually false information that's used to inflict harm upon somebody. This happens when you're just waiting and you're just watching, waiting for someone to mess up, and then you're going to take that and twist it and let the whole world know because you want to hurt somebody. Years ago, my, my wife and I, we were a part of a small group, and the small group was like 90 people. That, that's a, that's a good-sized church in Wyoming. But anyways, my, the, 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 the small group was so large that we couldn't just yell out prayer requests because it would take all hour and a half to do a prayer request, and then you don't even have time to study the Bible. So what we did was we pass around a sheet, and you write your name on it and what your prayer request is, and it goes around the whole room, and then my wife is the one that would take it and take it to the copy machine and make copies for everybody and pass them out. Fortunately, on this day, she read the prayer request before she made copies. And she read this, and here is the prayer request. person puts her name on a day when her husband's not there. And she said, please pray for my husband and his erectile dysfunction. Slander, right? Like, she brings it to me. What do I do? I'm like, we're not sharing that. <laughs> -mm. What did I do? I lied. I broke the ninth commandment. Sorry, folks. Copiers broke today. <laughs> But I think that's an example of a good lie. I did that to help somebody. Um, but today, you know, we don't really have to, you know, wait for the prayer request or stand outside someone's window to get some ju juicy bit of, of information just so you can destroy someone's life. Today, technology has brought a whole new way to do this. Because of uh, the internet and social media, really slander is very immediate and very effective. It's weird how that usually happens to people that disagree with people that seem like professional slanders, if you know where I'm going with that. Because we have an, I, an opportunity just to, to wreck someone's life right away because we can jump on a keyboard and just go to type in a way and, 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 and just say whatever we want. Why? Because there's no repercussions a lot of the time. You know, back in the good old days, the, the fear of getting punched in the mouth kept people from saying a lot of things they shouldn't say. But not today. Today, because of social media, the internet, anyone can say anything at any time about anybody. Did you know Jesus addresses this issue? I think Jesus knew what was going to happen 2,000 years later. And here's what Jesus says about this in Matthew 12, verse 36. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Did you know that Jesus knows what you type on your keyboard? Did you know that Jesus knows every screenshot, every text you send? He knows it all. And for those of you, maybe you've been on the receiving end of the slander thing that I'm talking about. Let me give you a verse that's probably going to make you feel a lot better. Romans 12, verse 19. The Word of God says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. King Jesus says this. You know what? I read what they wrote in that tweet. I know about that, that thing they said about you on social media, and they're not going to get away with it. I will repay. That's what Jesus says. Here's a fourth way we lie. Fourth way we lie? 
heresy. Heresy is not a word that should be thrown around a lot because the truth is it makes most of us feel very uncomfortable. But I'll say this, when, her- when the word's needed, it's needed. Heresy is a churchy word that means, that, that, that means false teaching. Here's, I'm going to say it another way. Heresy is lying about God. It's very serious. Okay? The Bible, it re- the Bible talks a lot about heresy, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in fact, we have entire books solely dedicated to this, this issue of lying about heresy. We have books like Jude. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. He goes on to write his book. And we have Second Peter. These, these two books solely do, deal with the issue of heresy. Did you know that a God that never lies is lied about all the time? It's called heresy. Read in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people. Do you see where they came from? From among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Did you notice where these heretical teachers come from? They come from within the church. There's some teachers that shouldn't be teachers in church. And people think, oh, that's impossible today. That's not going to happen here. That'll never happen at our church. Well, if the Apostle Peter is saying it's happening to him, it's going to happen to us. There's nothing new under the sun. And there's so many people that just want to have this big ecumenical hug and, hey, let's just all come together and let's just, just all of us just do church together. But most of the time, that's just not possible. Now, what happened for us where two churches came together to make Crosspoint, I think it's worked out amazing. It's such a testimony of the grace of God, but most of the time, it's just not possible. Because most of the time, there's things that we just can't simply overlook and pretend like heresy isn't heresy. And again, heresy is lying about God. And someone's doing that, we can't overlook it. When a church teaches that the Bible is not the ultimate authority, but they teach that there's some other books that have the same equal authority, or maybe they have greater authority than the Bible, and yet they contradict the Bible, we can't let that slide. We can't come together and just hold hands and just pretend like heresy isn't heresy. When a church teaches that Jesus is not God the Father's one and only unique Son, we can't let that one slide. Because that's lying about God. When a church teaches that an individual is saved by some other means than by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we can't overlook that one. That one's heresy. When a church teaches that Jesus was not fully man and yet fully God, that he lived without sin, that he died on a cross for our sins and rose from the dead as a Savior, And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, judging people to eternal hell or eternal heaven forever? We can't let that one slide in the name of unity. Now, Christians should be accommodating. I will say that, but there's some things we just cannot accommodate. But here's something I want you to know. If you forget everything else, remember this, that all of Christianity either rises or falls on the Ninth Commandment. Everything we believe as, as Christians, it, it's right here, the Ninth Commandment. And I say that because this book is written by eyewitnesses. 
or eyewitnesses that were there or telling the author as they write it down. Those men wrote down what they saw or heard, so that we, and, and all of that was overseen by, by God the Holy Spirit. Remember, God can't lie. So all of Christendom hangs in the balance of the ninth commandment because if what's written in, the, in, in this breaks the ninth commandment, here's what we should do. We should go home, have a nice meal, and never come here again because it's a lie. Maybe you come here today and you're not a Christian. I would say, God bless you. I love it when non-Christians come to church. But I want the Christian, you know, I call this a book, but it's, it's not a book. This is not a book. This is, in fact, 66 different books written by 40-some-odd authors over the course of thousands of years. And the, and the guys that wrote this, they were either there and they saw it and they wrote it down, or they're hearing it from the guy that saw it and they're writing it down. And, and they did that to have a faithful account of everything that happened because Christianity is not spirituality. Christianity is not philosophy. Christianity is history. Christianity is people, it's places, it's times, it's circumstances, it's events that actually happened. And if the testimonies of the eyewitnesses is not credible, then all of Christianity crumbles. But I need you to know this. The Bible is credible. It is. It's, it's altogether truthful. In fact, this is the most attacked document in the history of the world. It has been attacked by more often and, and by more people than any other thing ever written and ever. And if you can't believe the Bible, then the truth is you can't believe anything in history. Because it has more evidence that points to its truthfulness than any other document ever. What is said in the Bible is it's pretty unbelievable. It really is. In fact, I think the authors knew it was unbelievable when they were writing it down. I think they could hardly believe it themselves when they were writing it. And I think that's why roughly 40 some odd times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Jesus says, I tell you the truth over and over and over again. Why? It's unbelievable. There's three occasions the Apostle Paul says, I am not lying. You know why he said that? Because we're going to think he's lying. But I want to share a verse with you. It just blows my mind when I really think about it. I don't know if it's going to blow your mind. blows my mind. But here it goes. 1 John 1.1. John says, That was from the beginning, that which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes and we've looked upon, touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Did you notice the senses that John is saying there? He's, he's saying, we heard him, we've seen him with our eyes, we've touched him with our hands. I think John could have said, and I smelled him too if he wanted to, but he didn't. John's hitting all the senses. He's saying, we heard Jesus, we saw Jesus, we touched Jesus. That's letting us know that the apostles were very much firsthand eyewitnesses of, of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus' families, they saw Jesus? He has brothers and sisters that were not followers of, of Christ in the early years of his ministry. But consider this, what happens at the end? What happens at the end? Well, his brother Jude goes on to write the book of Jude. We, we mentioned that earlier. But Jesus has a little brother by the name of James. He goes on to write the book of James and becomes the de facto leader of the first Christian church in Jerusalem. And then history tells us that James goes on to be stoned to death. 
How does someone go on from being a disbelieving his brother to being willing to die for that which he used to, or die for that which he used to deny? How does that happen? Let me tell you how it happens. Because it's true. It's true. You know, the, the Bible tells us that their mother, Mary, she was at the cross, and I have to think at some point she goes to James and says, James, I saw your brother die. They killed him. And then he came back from the dead. Because mom doesn't lie, right? And then she, he sees Jesus come back to, from the dead to prove that he can grant life after death. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's a historical fact that he died on the cross in our place for our sins. And Jesus told his disciples, the eyewitnesses, the night before he was murdered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. It's all about Jesus. He, he, he is the truth. He says the truth. He does the truth. Why? Because he is the truth. That he dies in our place for our sins. All of us liars. Big giant pile of liars that Jesus died for us. And he rises from the, from the dead to conquer the death and pain and the sin. And he pays our debt to God. And he was seen by 500 eyewitnesses at a time. 500 eyewitnesses. It's not like just two or three people saw him. No, 500 people saw him at, at one time. And how long did they see him? 40 days. The Bible tells us he was with them for 40 days. It's not like a moment passing in time. Over a month he hung out with them after coming back from the dead. That's incredible. Well, who did he, who did he reveal himself to? There's guys like Thomas. If you don't know Thomas, we often call Thomas Doubting Thomas. And after the crucifixion, Thomas said about Jesus, he said, I absolutely will not. I refuse to believe. I'm not going to believe. You can't make believe. That's what Thomas is saying. Unless I take my finger and I stick it where the nail was holding his hand to the cross. Unless I take my hand and I put it in the side where a Roman soldier took a spear and pierced his heart. Until I put my hand inside, I absolutely will not believe. That's what he said about Jesus. Then what happened? There's a day all the guys are at church in a locked door. All of a sudden, Jesus is there. And Jesus shows up in the room. And what did Jesus say to Thomas? John 20, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger in here. And see my hand. And put your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And what did Thomas say? He said, my Lord, my God. Thomas actually put his finger in the void that used to hold our Savior to the cross. He took his hand and he placed it into the side where the spear had opened the chest cavity of Jesus. And he said this to Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. If you miss everything in this message, don't miss what Thomas said. This is not an OMG moment. It's not. A, a good Jew would never, ever, ever use that phrase because that's not, it's punishable by death. It's breaking the third commandment. Jesus, excuse me, Thomas is saying that Jesus is God. And that's what I want you to know. That God made you. He died for you. And if you place faith in Him, you'll be forgiven from your sins. All your sins, all the Ten Commandments that we've all brought, you can be forgiven. The Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. If you ever called on Jesus to save you, I tell you, do that now.
say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And yet you love me and you came and you died for me. I give you my life. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.